Right. Good morning, all. So my name's Ian, as has been advertised, so I have the privilege of serving as part of the eldership and trusteeship here at All Nations, alongside people like Matt and JJ, who you've seen this morning. And um, we're going to be continuing our series looking at the, the characteristics of a godly family. But just before, before I do that, I want to give out more thanks again for all of you who served yesterday afternoon out in the car park or in the back hall for our, our great get-together. And I had the joy of, of serving on the, um, the throw the beanbags at the tin can stall. And one th I, I learned a few things. One was picking up one tin can is easy. Picking up the thousandth tin can for a man who doesn't go to the gym is more of a, a challenge. So if you see me wince as I go down for that water, it's nothing to do with you. It's just that I found muscles I haven't found for a few years yesterday. But I actually learned two more important things as well. Uh, and so you're going to get a mini preach before the preach, just because I, I couldn't not share it, if that's all right. Um, and that's that the idea when you threw a beanbag, you knocked down tins, you won sweets. Simple concept. And the kids got it. But sometimes an adult, a father always, actually, let's be honest, always a dad, said, I want to have a go. And they threw the beanbags, they knocked down the tin cans, and I went to give them a sweet. And they said, what? A sweet for me? Because they kind of assumed the sweets were only for the kids. But I said, no, no, no we're an equal opportunities blesser. Yeah. <laughs> and it challenged me that are there areas in my life where I'm too grown up, in inverted commas, and God's wanting to give me stuff, and I'm saying, no thanks, I'm past that stage now, thank you. And the other one, there was a couple of girls in particular because uh, I had like a, a movable hoop where the, the child could throw from, depending if they were yay big or yay big. Um, and I sized up these girls and moved the hoop to one point, and they said no, and they moved it further away again. And they said, well, I've seen where, you know, I want to do it from the same distance that boy did. And the first time they tried, hopeless. But they tried, they tried, and by the end, they were smashing it. And again, the challenge came to me. And it might just be for me, but I'm going to share it with you, just in case. Are you knocking down the easy tins? Is God asking you to stretch a bit? So that's your preach before the preach. <laughs> and thank you again for all those, Kimberly and Norma and everyone else who made it happen yesterday. But um, before we preach, Father God, would you speak to us this morning, we pray? Would you communicate your truth to us? Not so that we would know more, not so that we would necessarily feel better, but so we could communicate more of your truth to a world that needs to hear it. We could see more lives changed, more circumstances transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as I said, we're continuing our series this morning on um, characteristics of a godly family. And the characteristic we're looking at this morning is caring. You'll see it written, three C's, care. It's the very first one on the board over there. So I thought a good place to start would be to get my dictionary out. I did that. I mean, go on the internet um, and look up some definitions of caring. And so I think on the, on the first slide, on the next slide, we've got the, the next bullet point. So two different definitions I found. Displaying kindness and concern for others affectionate, helpful, and sympathetic. So that's a great starting point, but 
being the maybe arrogant man that I am, I thought they didn't quite hit the mark for what I felt biblical caring actually was. So I thought I'd have a go myself at, at summarizing perhaps even more succinctly what, what I felt God was, was speaking to me to, to communicate what we want to see worked out here. So I had to go at Ian's definition, which was love that translates into actions. And there's a part two to that as well as we'll see as we get towards the end of the preach. So we are going to be looking at caring. We're going to look at through that through the lens of the story of Ruth, specifically chapter 2. So get your Bibles, tablets, phones, whatever's ready. Um, now, if you've been here for a, a little while, you'll know that it wasn't that long ago we did a whole series on Ruth. We're jumping into the middle at the moment in chapter 2. But in case you missed it, here's one of those sort of Here's what you missed last week, sort of, you know, before the BBC Three drama, whatever it is, scene setters, as it were, and where, where you've got to in the story of Ruth. So a chap called Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons went in a time of famine from Bethlehem in Judah to the land of Moab, not Jews. There Elimelech died. His two sons married Moabites, one taking this lady called Ruth as his wife. Both sons then died, so it was just the three ladies left, the mother-in-law and the two daughters-in-law. Now Naomi, the mother-in-law, heard that the famine in Judah had passed and determined to return home. And Ruth, her daughter-in-law, in spite of all the dissuasion that Naomi could give her, saying, look, this is a really bad idea, there's nothing for you there. Ruth cared so deeply for her mother-in-law that she accompanied her back home. And that's where we pick up the story. So we're going to read the whole of chapter 2 of Ruth on the basis that time spent reading scripture is never time wasted. So Ruth chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather amongst the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not, not, not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to, her, said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. 
So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Amen. So there we have a, a picture of caring, of Ruth who set aside everything to look after her mother-in-law. And so what immediately jumps out to me from this story is how much Ruth lays down how much she sacrifices to ensure that her mother-in-law is cared for. Because biblical caring, we have to acknowledge, can mean sacrifice. Now for Ruth, it took her to another nation. It may not be that we're called today to another nation. But it could very well be that we're called to somewhere beyond our comfort zone. Now... If you've been around our church family for a number of years, you may remember a prophetic word put over us a few years ago now that we were to um, get our hands dirty. Was it, it was Julian Adams, wasn't it, I think? Yes, Julian Adams. Get our hands dirty in terms of our interactions, particularly with the poor and disadvantaged. Now, we're starting to see the outworkings of that in a number of ways, first with Food Bank, more recently with other ministries such as the breakfast ministry on Sunday mornings uh, and other things with the homeless, lunches here, etc. But I get the sense that these are meant to be first fruits amongst us, not journey's end. That there's more places for us to go beyond where we are now. This will almost certainly involve many more of us making a journey to reach out and care for those who are very different to ourselves or we just who we feel distant from for whatever reason. And just thinking here this morning, that journey, although in, in Ruth's case it was a huge one, for us, for me even, it, it may just be crossing this room. There may be people on the other side of the room who you've never talked to before. You see them sitting on their own at the end of the service. If we can't walk across the room, how are we to walk across continents? Ruth's sacrifice was deeper, though, because it's clear from this passage she also put herself in a place of danger. Multiple warnings through the chapter that actually gleaning as a young woman was not a very safe occupation, shall we say. Now, again, our, our caring, it may not put us into such obvious danger. 
such a, an overt threat. But there are maybe many other smaller dangers that we can still find as stumbling blocks to our actions. The danger to my reputation, what will people think if they find out that I'm doing this, talking to these people, helping out in that way. The danger to my own carefully guarded time and money. Will I have to lay something down in order to make this happen? Or maybe even the danger to my own worldview. Talking to people very different from ourselves can actually challenge some of our own deeply held assumptions sometimes. And maybe some of those do need to be challenged. Now that all sounds hard work, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a bit. But is carrying all hard work and difficulty? <laughs> Far from it. Because another important aspect of caring is that, I say it can, I say it can unlock blessing. It unlocks blessing. Let's state it that way around. In this part of the story, the blessing to Naomi is obvious. She, as a widow, is fed. Ruth enables that for her now. I looked this up, I didn't know this, but an ephah of barley was about 35 litres, was my first definition. Now, 35 litres didn't particularly help me either, so I got my little calculator out. And that's equivalent to about a, a box, about a 30 centimetres or a foot, depending on how old you are, on each side. And again, I started getting my head around that, and you worked, well, what's the density of, of barley grain? It's about 20 kilos or 45 pounds. Okay? 45 pounds, so that's 20 kilos. That's a, that's a pretty hefty weight. And she cleaned this all day, and then she'd actually beaten that out. So she was carrying more than that during the day as well. But there's an abundance there for them. And it even says Ruth was fed, and she took home the extra, and Naomi got blessed out of the extra as well. Caring unlocks blessing. And it wasn't just for their, for their immediacy in terms of their food. As we know, if you studied the story and we go into chapter 3, if you sense some sort of spark appearing between Ruth and Boaz, you were absolutely right. Spoiler alert, they end up married. <laughs> There's a blessing there for Ruth as well. Now, we need to be a bit careful here. There are many teachers today of something called the prosperity gospel who teach that if we perform good works, such as particularly giving or caring, then surely we will not want for nothing and everything be given to us. That's a bit of a distortion of scripture. We do not care in order to receive a blessing. We care for others because God cares for all and wants to see everyone blessed. And in doing that, the overflow of the blessing sometimes seems to come back to us as well. So I, I manned tin cans, and I got blessed by the wisdom of children yesterday afternoon. <laughs> Ruth didn't leave her homeland to look after Naomi in order to receive a blessing. That wasn't on her heart. Indeed, Ruth, if you look back at chapter 1, explicitly says to Naomi, sorry, Naomi says to Ruth back in chapter 1, there's nothing for you there. There's no husband. She explicitly says there's no husband for you there. I'm beyond bearing one for you. She wasn't going there to get blessed. She was going there to care. But the blessing came to her. And that brings us on to the next point as well, and that blessing can impact the eternal. Now, Ruth's name pretty much only appears in the book named after her, called Ruth, obviously. Now, to have a book of the Jewish and now Christian scriptures named after a Moabite woman is a pretty impressive thing. The fact that three, three and a half thousand years approximately after this woman lived, we're talking about her this morning. 
That in its own is quite amazing. But there's more. See, Ruth's name appears once more in the scriptures, in our Christian Bibles, outside of the book with her name. If you read the first few verses of the Gospel of Matthew, we find her again in the genealogy of Christ. Verse 5, And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, and there she is again. So the caring of Ruth took her to a place where she could play a part in the greatest story of all time. And she never knew it, but God used her, a Moabite woman, to actually be part of a story that has impacted history. Wow. And our caring can impact the eternal too. Now that won't be in a new genealogy of Christ, obviously, that's a closed book. You know, make very clear on that one. But nevertheless, as we introduce people to Christ through our caring, we have the opportunity to see eternal destinies changed. Now, I've been part of this church now for 25 years, give or take. But before that, I had somewhat of a more nomadic church existence, shall we say. Um, being through a number of different expressions of Christianity. But the, the faith that I was born into, if you like, raised by my parents, was the Salvation Army. And if you know anything of the story of the Salvation Army, it was a man and his wife, William and Catherine Booth, who looked at the deprivation in London of the time, the drunkenness, the squalor, the prostitution, and out of their care was birthed the church. And if you look in some of the, the, the stories around that, the story goes that, that William Booth was dictating a letter to his secretary to help to set this up. And he said the words, I want a volunteer army. And his son said, I'm no volunteer. I'm a regular. And William was stopped and he said, yes. Cross out volunteer army, write salvation army. Again, his gaze was taken from the here and now. We want a volunteer army to help these people to the eternal. We're not volunteers in this. We don't volunteer for good works here or there. We're part of an eternal army to change the destiny of nations. But exciting as this was, it was at this point in my preparation that I... I was just caught back in my own failings again when it came to caring. Because somehow the more excited about the blessings I got for our community and beyond that biblical caring can unlock, the more enthused I got about the opportunities for impact in the eternal, the more I was hit by my own unwillingness to go to that foreign place or to put myself in that place of danger as I've characterized them. And and my reaction, maybe internally, because I'm not an overly emotional person, my reaction was something like this, if you put the next slide up. <laughs> now, I'm way too old to do decent selfies. That's my best effort, but... <laughs> you see, it's fantastic to have great examples like Ruth. They can be really inspiring. But depending on where we're coming from, they can either inspire us in a good way or they can make us feel about this big. And they can sometimes just accentuate the gap between us and them. Let's face it, Ruth was pretty amazing. And I, I had a practical example of this even, even last Sunday, which ran very, very close. 
because uh, we, we, were, we were putting on a, a meal um, for those who needed it, uh, who were living on, on the streets and in other difficult circumstances in Bedford here last Sunday afternoon. And really just before, you know, about two o'clock, a meal, meal was meant to be served about four, half one maybe, the cry went out, we're short of people to cook dinner, can you help? And immediately in me goes off all the reasons why I cannot do it. Now, I ended up doing it, but I'm telling you this story more to illustrate how close run a thing it was that my immediate reaction was to look for reasons why I couldn't do it. I've got a foreign trip the next day that I need to get prepared for. I haven't spent much time with Caroline. Well, actually, we solved that one. She came along and helped as well, so that was great. Um, we vaguely planned. We had a multiplicity of possible, really nice, enjoyable, very middle-class things to do in the afternoon involving gardens and music and probably cake. But by a whisker, and I'll admit it was probably a whisker, and with reluctance and with the feeling it's probably what I ought to do, we came here. You know what? I was blessed. <laughs> Mainly because Richard Green also came and he knew what he was doing. So that was fantastic. <laughs> but I mean, I hope the, the folk who ate the food were blessed, but I got blessed anyway, simply by the, the camaraderie in that kitchen, the fact that Joe pitched in and helped, Kimberly gave phone support on how the dishwasher works which was mainly actually telling Richard to look for, for washing up gloves, I seem to recall, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but we had a great time. And thinking about that actually brings it back to, yes, I don't measure up, but something should have hit me in this story. Actually, I'm not meant to measure up. Jesus has done it all. So if we recap our three points on the next slide, I think. If caring can mean sacrifice, what has Jesus done for us? The ultimate sacrifice. If caring can unlock blessing, does unlock blessing, what has Jesus done for us? He's unlocked the blessing of eternal life, which by definition impacts the eternal. Jesus has done it all. And this brought me back to my definition at the beginning, because I suddenly thought, actually, I'm, I'm vaguely remembering something here. It turns out maybe my definition of, of love put into action at the beginning didn't quite hit the mark either. And God, as so often is the case, was, was way ahead of this on me. So I came to another definition, which I do apologize includes some Greek. But I'll unpack that for you because I don't speak Greek either. But caring, God led me to, is actually the outworking of agape. Agape love. And I... As always, consulted minds greater than mine for a good definition I've put up there. The Greek word agape is often translated love in the New Testaments, but the essence of agape love is goodwill, benevolence, and willful delight in the object of love. But unlike our English word love, agape is not used to refer to romantic or sexual love, nor does it refer to close friendship or brotherly love, for which the Greek word philia is used. Agape love involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. That, to me, summed up Ruth. Ruth the Moabite, Ruth who shouldn't and didn't know personally this God, who we have the privilege of being in a relationship, somehow got some of this, this sacrificial, faithful commitment, an act of will to love. Because it's hard for us, because agape love actually starts first as God's love for us. 
Perhaps best summarized in all in that well-known verse in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so agapeed, so loved the world, a love that compels to sacrificial action. But that agape love doesn't stop at God's love for us. It's also by the measure by which we love him as well as our fellow man or woman. And so this led me to another piece of scripture we'll actually we'll use to start drawing this message to an end. So if you're able, I'd like you all to stand. And I think we'll actually, I'll actually, actually publicly read this together, if that's all right, doing things differently. Again, part of my heritage as well as Salvation Army is Anglican, and Anglicans sometimes read scripture together. So you're getting a, a mishmash today. You see, this concept of agape love took me to perhaps the obvious place, 1 Corinthians 13. So I'd like us to, to read that together, if that's all right as a family. And just in case it's not abundantly clear, wherever love is written in here, that's agape. That's this committed, faithful, willful act of love. So here we go. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Amen. You can sit down now. I just thought we'd read that together as a statement, I think, of what we're being called to be. That love. A 3,000-year-old woman has pointed us to Christ. Christ impacted Paul so much that Paul saw those things and wrote them down 2,000 years ago. And now they're speaking to us this morning. So in conclusion, and with huge apologies to Don as our percussionist, let's not be symbols. <laughs> let's not be that clanging, crashing voice. I know so easy, it's, it's, we're sometimes quick to jump into proclamation without building relationship. We're so eager to communicate the gospel, which is great, we need to do that. But maybe we don't build that bridge first. We don't establish that caring relationship and we end up sounding just like a symbol. So let's not just be symbols, but let's rather press into all that God has for us, receiving every ounce, every gram of his redeeming and empowering agape love. And let's commit as community to take that love to Bedford and beyond. 
And just before I invite us to pray together, if you don't know the agape love of Christ, if what I've been talking about this morning is a mystery to you, or you're not sure you fully understand it, you're not sure you've embraced it, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. If you can't get hold of me, Matt or Kat will be delighted to talk to you. JJ, any of the people you've seen up here, someone you've come along with who you know and trust. If you don't feel that agape love from God and you know you need to, please explore further with us. We're delighted to explore that with you. But as we do now conclude this, I, I wondered about calling out different people to the front and absolutely God may well have spoken to you this morning and you know you need a personal response, in which case, please go and see our ministry team over there. I'm not going to stop you doing that at all. But actually, the second word on our list over there under care is community. And actually, I felt that a communal response together, that's one reason why I got us to read that scripture together, a communal response was what God was after this morning. So I'd like us all to stand if we're able. I'm going to pray for a short length. If anyone asks, I will then stop and there will be a silence. If anybody would like to fill that silence with their own prayer committing us to corporate response, please go for it. And then we'll see what happens. Does that sound all right? Father God, we thank you that you first loved us. That the call to, to care for others, as challenging as it sounds and as difficult as it can sometimes be, the sacrifices it entails, that you've done it all already. You've brought us close to you. You've made it possible for us to receive the, the power of the Holy Spirit to give us all that we need to take this message to the world. So Father, we pray that you do that more and more through this body of people with our brothers and sisters in the South as community to this town of Bedford and beyond. So Father, we pray specifically for New Day, for the team that Nigel needs to make it happen, to care for, to feed our teenagers and their servers. Father, we pray for the community centers, for this person we need to be the manager, again, to care for the buildings and the people around there, that part of town. And Father, we pray as each individual, and I dare you to pray this with me, would you start with me? Would you start with us? That yes, this is a communal thing we have to do together, but if we all leave it to somebody else, Father, would, would you increasingly make us unwilling to do that and to leave it to somebody else, but rather to step in and be the first to say, yeah, and then be surprised at how many follow on behind us, maybe. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.